Hey, storytellers. If you like the show, you can find Life Narrated on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps others find the podcast and validates our existence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and I am based on a true story. My name's Lauren, and I'm the pet ant that's searching for all your flaws. My name's Matt, and I'm played by Channing Tatum. (laughs) Yes, regardless of genre. And today we're talking about fictionalizing history and national tragedies. We haven't decided what what we're calling it. We should have decided that before we started, but that's how we roll here. (laughs) We're already an hour behind when we said we wanted to record, so, you know, certain things just have to be... Eyes closed, face first, can't lose. We'll probably lose most of the time. I mean, podcast rushes in, I think. Podcast rushes in. That's right. What we are talking about is uh, fictionalizing recent history. And what I really wanted to talk, uh, what inspired me to have this topic is the recent rash of movies about... Not even just 9-11, but also, like, Zero Dark Thirty, which is about the killing of Osama bin Laden, Mm. right? And, like, just these things that have happened very recently, and then someone has taken it upon themselves to, like, make a movie out of it. And the movie... Movies don't have to be true. Like, even if they're of true events, everyone kind of... (laughs) Yeah, what? You kind of know they're, like, not the truth, just because it's a movie and it has to be 90 minutes and, you know, you have to be able to show everything. But if we're talking about history, like, I think it's a different issue. Um, I did want to talk quickly about a couple of historical examples of this kind of thing. Not necessarily with movies, but um, a couple days after Lincoln's assassination, Walt Whitman had already composed two poems that um, were published about the assassination. So, I mean, and, like, there are tons of ancient examples of this. Like, um, Ascalius's play The Persians originally was performed in uh, 472 BCE, and that's actually eight years after the Persians invaded Greece, which is what The Persians is about. Um, I just like the idea of Walt Whitman, like, hearing about Lincoln's death and then being like... (gasps) So moved, being like, I gotta write about this. I gotta like, write a poem. Writing two poems, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The first one wasn't good enough. I love that guy so much. <laughs> one of them was, they were like, he deserved it. <laughs> yeah, one of them yeah, was called, the Oh, Captain, My Captain. Oh. So. Aww. That's is that where, cute. Is that where we get that from? I Must don't know. That's what I thought when I heard it, but I don't know. <laughs> it's just something that happens a lot. Uh, another example is... Um, is that there after the Titanic, there were so many poems and songs and written remembrances that were being published that the New York Times actually wrote, and this is a quote, to write about the Titanic in a poem worth printing requires that the author should have something more than just paper, pencil, and a strong feeling that the disaster was a terrible one. <laughs> so basically, like, keep your feelings Agreed. to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, that got me thinking a little bit 
about like why we do this like everyone was there it was like especially for like zero dark 30 and like walt whitman's poems when it was like two days after we remember that this happened right absolutely so like why do we have to extra remember it so i actually have a theory about that that i just came up with in listening to your examples emily yeah Um, part of it might have to do with documentary like the okay the the feeling that you want to document the moment and also like uh, research the event and so like you you can have very good documentarians go through and like do rigorous research and interviews and things like that and you come you end up with like a very good documentary document about like be it a movie or a, a piece of writing or whatever about the event that happened yeah but then also not everyone is that organized and like thorough and so like you end up with people who are like yeah i talked to a guy who had a feeling about it you know and yeah like, it starts like becoming less and less re like quote unquote real facts and more and more like these are the ways i feel it happened and like you know like there's a spectrum there right and, like at the end of the spectrum is like a completely fictionalized version and on the other end is like a news story right well yeah and i I don't know. I guess it is a spectrum. I I read this article that was making a distinction between journalism and these fictional accounts, saying that basically the reason this offends us, uh, we're going real fast here, the reason this offends (laughs) us is that because journalists are seen as telling other people's stories, whereas novelists are kind of seen as maybe appropriating those stories for their own purposes um, it's kind okay. of like performative and mercenary when they do it. Whereas sure. if a, it's a journalist, a documentarian, it's like you are telling someone else's story. You don't have a bit in that, which is not, you know, entirely correct because. Right. Absolutely not. It's all subjective. Um, yeah. And like, like I said, like, there's like a very shady middle ground, like any, you know, like, I don't want to like Fox News, 60 minutes kind of like exciting docutainment kind of thing where it's yeah. like. Uh, or you know, there's a good example. Um, uh, Serial, the first uh, first season of Serial, and and then um, that uh, yeah. TV show on Netflix, the the stairwell. Yeah. The stairway, whatever. No, but yeah, stairwell. The stairwell, where like the guy, it's like those true crime stories that like, at the end they're like, we don't know any more than you do, or like we don't know any more than the news does, and it's like, well, then why did you take us through twelve hours of like riveting entertainment? <laughs> I know? would actually like, like to get back to murder <clears throat> podcasts in a second. But I do want to talk about. Um, I'm making a note. Murder podcast. Murder <laughs> podcasts. Um, like, and those are technically documentary, but like they're also like right on that line of like, who cares if it's true or not? Right. You know? like, well, right. I, I wanted to say I, I was thinking about as you guys were talking. It's a little bit of a story. Come with me. I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> Over the Christmas break, my older sibling and I helped our parents clean out their attic. Mm-hmm. And and it became this big, like, Marie Kondo, their life sort of thing yeah. for a couple of days. Mm, yes. One of the things we found was there's this little notebook, little journal that was my mom's, and it had, like, one entry in it. It was, like, on the first page. And the only thing it, the only thing it talked about was the impending war with, I, with Iraq, like, Desert Storm. So, like, okay. the first, like, in the early okay. 90s, the first go-round. And... It was, she, she was writing down, like, this is what happened. Our country might really be going to war. 
And then there was like a little blurb about like how the weather was. And so mm-hmm. it was, it was, so my, I was like, oh, that's really interesting, mom. Only entry though. That's like yeah. the only thing she ever wrote in it. Listen, I do that all the time. <clears throat> yeah. But I thought it was fascinating because I too have a notebook <laughs> with one single entry in it. And it was about nine, it was about nine eleven. Wow. And it was like, and my teacher literally was like, everybody take out a notebook. And I yeah. just happened to have a new one. And she was like, write down what's happening and, you know, what you're thinking and feeling and make sure you date it and all this stuff. So I think there's something about that where at some point this will become history in terms of like several generations removed. And so we need to like, we need to document it so that people mm-hmm. will know because, mm-hmm. you know, for posterity, I guess. And yeah. That's an important impulse for sure. Yeah. And I, but your quote about the Titanic is what I find. I'm like, <laughs> yes, we should all write that down. But also, not, not every those. Tom, Dick, and Harry <laughs> right. needs to have, like, their... Some people are better qualified. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that, you know, trauma naturally leads to the ex- expression, you know, art and, um, like, a, everyone wants... To, it's a way to work through your feelings about it. So, like, That's true. a yeah. lot of people wrote about 9-11 and, like wrote lots about 9-11 and not all of that is published because a lot of it is just like people working through their thoughts and their feelings, even in some fictional like space opera setting. If it, you right. know, that sort of thing. I think. And let's be real. Like, I'm sure a lot of those people were like, this could be a script and right. it's not. And it's well, not. And when you come back to it, like let's say 50 years later if, as like a new generation and you look at all these like really kind of emotional momentary, like, accounts from people who aren't necessarily professionals it's easy to take all those that like spilled ink and like try and cobble a story around it that may not be true but is based in like primary documents in a way yeah and um i read this article that um uh i'm going to name the article because uh that's not what we normally do it's in the new york York times better yeah (laughs) new york times and it's called uh when it comes to fiction about the national tragedy how soon is too soon and it's by daniel mendelson and anna (laughs) holmes and they're kind of like going back and forth about what is good and what is not good um and and anna holmes makes this um argument that the most successful um, fictionalizations of 9-11 have been microcosms of 9-11 and like things yeah. like that like extremely loud and incredibly close was about uh, was Jonathan Saffer Saffer's I can't say his name properly um, and it's about one kid and his family I actually haven't mm-hmm. read it I assume that's what it's about but there are several <laughs> you assume that <laughs> I it's when they make a movie about they made it. a movie about it and oh, there was okay. a trailer that I watched I watched the trailer that's what it's about <laughs> um, and okay. so Wait, trailers sh- really don't leave enough to imagine <laughs> Right. these days, I feel. I so. basically read it, is what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> and, and I'm agreeing with you, Emily. Saw you saw the trailer, you like, read the book. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, oh it, these are the most successful and, like, literal, literarily uh, um, popular because they take in the human experience and all that spilled mm. ink. You know, I'm sure that they did research not only their own feelings about being a lot of these people are New Yorkers living in New York when it happened, but also like friends and family and just like people who blogged about it on live journal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that Actually, kind of is thing. Is that still a thing? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> What's still a thing? 
Live journal. Live journal. No, I'm like, oh shit, around. is that still a thing? I don't think and so. Like, no. <laughs> it was a thing at the time, though. It was. That's You're true. not wrong. I have um, one. Um, I do want to, when, before we started recording, we were talking about Pearl Harbor and the movie that, not recently, came, I was a couple years ago, I guess. Um, I think it was like 2001. Yeah, actually. but um, Lauren, you were mentioning that the character of Cuba Gooding Jr., was he was a chef on a ship but ended up being not only in the middle of all the action and like ended up taking a gunner post which like what but also (laughs) he was i mean cuba gooding jr's black and his character was in a lot of situations that probably he wouldn't have found himself in because of racism i think a lot of people who saw it probably were like this is not entirely accurate, but you get the general gist. And so clearly, Pearl Harbor, it's been long enough. Like, if we're talking about how soon is too soon, do we care that they're kind of fictionalizing Pearl Harbor? I, I care, personally. I feel like Cooper Jr.'s character is too unrealistic, and um, I'm never watching that movie. No. Okay, are you being a jerk, or are you just... I'm, or, <laughs> I'm being a jerk. Also, it's a terrible movie. <clears throat> But it's a right. terrible movie for different reasons. <laughs> but a, I think a big part of that, too, is, like, so the the movie kind of hinges on, like, this character who goes on, like, this mission and... Uh, You're not going to spoil it for us. He goes in my... Eight, yeah, no, if you haven't seen it, I mean, and this... I'm I'm trying to cobble together my memory of it. Oh, okay, but gotcha. He, I think it's like Ben Affleck's character. I want to say, and his best friend Josh Harnett go on this magical adventure during wartime. No, but like he went on some mission and goes MIA, and he's presumed dead. And so his best friend <laughs> gets his girlfriend pregnant. Oh, like oh. you do. Or maybe they get married, and then the guy's like, "Actually, I'm alive." And all this like, happened on the same day. That's inconvenient for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, darn. Um, but then the best friend, so guy who goes to my A comes back and everybody's like, all these things were done because we thought you were dead. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. That's, I don't know how I'm supposed to take that. <laughs> and then dude who stayed behind ends up dying somehow. So Ben Affleck's character, who was always the love interest, ends up remaining the love interest, but now has to like raise Deal. his friend's yeah. child. That's it's weird. weird. So that's why I'm kind of like, but you know, and then Pearl Harbor happened. I was about to say, like you didn't mention the war <laughs> exactly. At all, like, oh, the kind of the only so, thing that kind of ties it in is that like Ben Affleck's character is like a pilot. So and, Pearl Harbor hadn't happened at this point, <laughs> or like it's what, it, or maybe it was like the catalyst for him to join the war. Maybe? Okay, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure like the movie starts with the attack, or maybe it, maybe the attack happens in the middle. But it's like garbage. This is it's a like garbage the movie, movie is garbage. And they make everybody and and like the director, I can't remember the director's name is like Michael something or Michael other. Bay? No, I don't think it was Michael Bay. Somebody different. I could look it up, but I won't. Um Yeah, fuck it. It's that. like all of his so like one of the critiques, one of the major critiques of the movie is that like there's a lot of Christian overtones. Mm. So he's very much like created this hit this, you know, this fictional history, right? Mm-hmm. And placed all his like morals and values on top of it. So like the the lo- the two lovers like have this moment where they could like consummate their love for each other, and they don't, you know, because it doesn't feel <laughs> right. 
And it's very okay. kind of like Haynes Cody. Like, it's very much like, oh, there's love. And there might be a sex scene, but it's definitely implied instead <laughs> of, like, you seeing it. And So, right, it's kind of like, so what the fuck does any of that have to do with Pearl Harbor? Pearl you know? Harbor. So it's not, it's called Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Pearl Harbor, like, the attack happens. We see it happen in the movie. Uh, but, like, this, yeah, this, like, love interest triangle you know, baby mama stuff. Like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I, so I think that was just purely like what you said about like the murder podcast. It's like, you know, we all know what happened in Pearl Harbor. Everybody has to learn about that growing up. So we know what happened. Mm-hmm. And then here's this weird love triangle story. We're just going to like ram that in there. <laughs> it could have happened at the same time. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> I do want to kind of, um, I agree with you on Pearl Harbor, But I just read this article um, on, I think it was Lit Hub, that was uh, talking about Isabel Allende. And I wrote down a bunch of her books for this podcast as well, because you may or may not know Isabel Allende, her uncle, I think it was her uncle, was a dictator in, I guess not a dictator, because again, uh, the U.S. overthrew him. He was a uh, socialist leader of this Mm. country, I want to say Argentina. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and he was overthrown by the CIA. And so all a lot of her books concern... Oh, it's Chile. Oh, my God. It is Chile. I'm so sorry. Everyone in Chile and Argentina, I apologize. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> it's all of them. So in Chile... And, um, so she... All a lot of her books, including House of Spirits, which I had to read when I was in um, middle school, I think. Yeah. Um is about this and about people surrounding this. And her criticism of her work has included the fact that she prioritizes other narratives above these suffering and political narratives, especially romance narratives. Um, um, Let me find it. Okay. And her response to that is, um, it is not a moral betrayal to narrate atrocity as a component of a person's story rather than the entirety. And that's okay. fair. Like, yeah. I, I, think I think I like that if it's done well. Right. And she clearly does it. She clearly does it better than Pearl Harbor. Would I'm not talking about Pearl Harbor when I mentioned this, but I, I think right. there are valid uh, criticisms of her work, especially because she is so emotionally involved. But I think that um, she's right in that, like, uh, saying that, for instance, people who survived the Holocaust, um, the entirety of their life is that they're Holocaust survivors, you know, or that Anne Frank, for instance, shouldn't be portrayed as like a, a, you know, fun loving little girl because she was in such a dire situation. Um, Right. Your trauma doesn't have to become your, your identity. And like for a lot of people it does, but I guess literary people would want it to be right. Exactly. According to these criticisms, which is like, and she's right when she says that like, I can become more than, like, the thing that has happened to me. And, like, as well you should. And uh, actually, now that I think about it, our other podcast, my co-host, Liz, talks a lot. And she's actually been on this podcast. She was on the zombie podcast. Um, Mm. She talks about um, how grieving mothers are always portrayed as, like, just solid grieving mothers all the way through. Like, Mm. just there's (laughs) nothing else about them. Um, And, (laughs) oh, God, poor, like, who's it, Julian Moore? Julianne Moore's like mm. every she got typecasted for a while. Like yeah. every movie she was in, she was like, "I've lost my children." Yeah, and it was like, "Cool, cool, cool." You're <laughs> that way, baby. Now. And yeah, it was, 
Yeah. You're exactly right. Or Liz is exactly right. Yeah. So I think that's interesting, though uh, a little off topic. And yeah, so I think that there is something to be said for these, like, portraying these microcosms of national tragedies. Um, is it too soon to start doing things about 9-11, do you think? Well, I think that leads into a really good conversation about rules, right? Right. Like, there's got to be... I love rules. <laughs> Let's make some rules! Let's make some rules! You at home, follow along as we make these rules. You can include your own. Hey, email us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Nice. If yes. you want to throw out some of your own rules. I love it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um we're like professionals now almost <laughs> i as soon as i get that box in here guys <laughs> whatever that box is whatever that box is. lauren found a box that her dad had apparently that helps people like literally this is how you describe it it's a box that for record, podcasting reports podcasts <laughs> nor her nor her father know what, how it works or um, what it does or have told us my or dad can explain it. Yeah, my dad absolutely knows, and I apparently just did not understand. It but could she... be a box or something inside a box. <laughs> it's really vague. There's a thing that my dad has. It podcast does the sometimes. My dad's got so many of these sweet, sweet recordy things. Anyways, um, in boxes, it captures. Dude, we just your get voice. that box in here. It's over. We just Game get that over. Box. <laughs> Uh, Adventure what? Who cares? Adventure what? What? <laughs> Y'all just do graphic novels now. They're out of the podcast game. Um, Ever since those, uh, those live narrating kids got that box, it's been over. <laughs> that's going to be one of those. That's going to be what people say about us. Look at that podcast box. I'm pretty sure there's a rapper on it. <laughs> um, like, it maybe he helped develop it. <laughs> Sounds more legit every minute. Well, I would have taken a picture of this and put it on our Instagram, which is Life Narrated Podcast, by the way. It's not very active because this is a, uh, you know, auditory medium. Yeah, yeah. But but I love Instagram. I'm going to make it work. The rules. The rules. So, I, I say, here, I propose my fellow hosts, why don't we take turns suggesting what we think would be a reasonable rule if say we were a like a production studio and someone was pitching us like hey this recent tragedy just happened i want to make a movie about it and we were like discussing whether or not we were going to let that movie be made so like what are some rules that we might follow i do want to summarize the new york times article that i read because they were both talking about this and um daniel mendelson was of the opinion that um, he wasn't. He didn't give a time, but he was like, "It is way too early." This was in 2014. Way too early to start doing things about uh, September 11th, and that they all um, smack of crass consumerism, basically. And mm. Anna, Anna Holmes said, "It's never too soon because the whole concept is uh, tangled up with the idea that someone is making money off of it, and that is why we feel uncomfortable with these things that they're." appropriative and mercenary and performative basically um so she's like get over it it's not too soon Hmm. so just thoughts yeah i think uh for me because the 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 spectrum of documentary exists that i was talking about earlier like it's nobody's place to say like because like if a documentary came out like, the day after 9-11 describing what had happened. Like, a news story, for instance. Yeah. I would be like, good, that's something we need and should have here. 
And then as time goes, it gets more and more fictionalized or like more and more sensationalized, perhaps. Like, at what point do you say, okay, stop, no more sensationalization of this event and only like heartfelt, like, you know, magnum opuses from here on out, you know, like, and so I have to agree with, um, Anna Holmes. I have to agree with Anna Holmes. It's that's like, who can make that choice and make it effectively? And the answer is nobody. And so like, you might as well just like open it up and like, let, you know, I hate to use the free market capitals example, but like, let the free market decide like, which is going to be a good one and which is going to fail. And like, if you're crass about it, like you will fail. Right. Let's hope, let's hope you do. Or maybe you make money and then, like, that's it. And, like, people are dumb enough to, like, enjoy your craft thing. And so, fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. James Franco, was it Seth Rogen, got into, like, a bunch of trouble because they made a movie about going to Korea. Like, North, North Korea. Korea. Yeah. Oh, and, like, yes. like, something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe we could do, you know, a comeback an... to episode. Yeah. But, like, something like that where it's, like... In America, people are like, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> and then in the rest of the world, everyone's like, are you crazy? Like, that's very, it's provocative in the, like, literal sense. It will provoke bad things, or it could provoke bad things. Um, I think like, that's a little different because the main intention <clears throat> of that was satire. And it's clearly marked as satire, including, what is it, like, Team America World, world Police? Mm-hmm. It's also a same thing. Like it's it's made not to reflect the truth, but to provoke a reaction, uh, whether it's humor or getting uh, Kim Jong Un just like super steamed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but doesn't I mean? But like satire, like the whole genre of satire was created to be able to say things that were true or how people were thinking about things, right. but passing it off like under the radar. It's like, no, 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 no. It's just, we're just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the full speaking sort of, if yeah. you will. I think that is, that is different because here we're talking about stuff that is presented as facts, even in, if it's in movie form, you know, and they're, they're not really, they're saying their opinion um, but it's not presented as a fact. I would well, actually um, hearken <clears throat> back, all the way back to Ovid's Metamorphosis, which is a similar thing, because it's Ovid's Metamorphosis is like a super long book, and it just goes from one rambling from one myth to another. But they're all kind of changed. They're a little bit like topsy turvy because the whole book is in re- is in response to Augustus Caesar naming his father. Julius Caesar a god so literally in the book Ovid says you know he's like and then you know the proud Caesar is here and we're so excited and of course he has Julius Caesar has to be a god because look what sprouted from his loins actually that's not what he says because he's an adopted son but you know look what he created so many ways yeah Yeah. (laughs) look what he created and like he's really sarcastic and in that way, it's not meant to read as honest praise. It's meant to be, okay, this guy has a serious uh, problem with Julius Caesar becoming he's a god. Com- he's got a complex. So, like, that brings up a good point, though. Like, <clears throat> the way that you present a piece of media can offset how you people feel about it. So, could we do a 9-11 thing sooner if we're doing it satirically? Oh, my God. Satirically? Well, y- like, the way you present it, I think, is important. So, like, if it's satirical, 
<clears throat> you might make some people angry, like a lot of New Yorkers angry because of like who like the the, tra- the nature of the tragedy is too great for them that like it would be um, upsetting. But if you made a like historically accurate, more or less like heartfelt magnum opus, like I was talking about earlier, but then just had a thing that was like this is a fictionalized like this is like if you made if you messaged it such that like this is in no way realistic, you know, or like but- you. Like, I think that would be more acceptable. Or, like, if you did um, a 9-11 story, but it wasn't, like, 9-11. It was, like, 10-13, and the double towers of Chicago fell. You know, like... But it was still, like, a serious take on the matter. You could okay. probably push it further into the the present, yeah. if that makes sense, you know? Like, messaging is important in, like, what you're creating, I think. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to imagine, like, a, a funny thing about 9-11, and I was like, that would be awful, but then I was thinking uh, about V for Vendetta, which isn't necessarily funny, but it it can, it is what you talked about. Like it is basically the story of nine eleven, and it came out very quickly afterwards, and it was kind of like a warning of like what could happen mm-hmm. if we continued down this path. And when I saw it as a teenager, I was like a hundred percent convinced this is where we were going, mm-hmm. and so. It's not necessarily satire. I guess it is mm. satire. Satire doesn't have to be funny, right? Right. Like I suppose. Yeah. I feel like it usually funny. ends up being semi, like maybe more, um, not lighthearted, but it's allegorical. At yeah. Least. It's like it, it takes it an easier approach to it, and maybe yeah, because it's set intense. in England and it's set in some you know nebulous time that we don't really understand and. But it happens after a major t- terrorist attack, and they turned around and blamed Middle Eastern people, and then it just spiraled out of control into this, like, dystopian world. Right, right. Um, and so I was like, I can see more like that. Like, that was really well-received, and I that's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that's good. But then thinking of, like, a comedic attempt at, like... <laughs> tackling 9-11 is just like I don't think that's a good idea right and I think it like matters too like how like what like once again the messaging of like what this is supposed to be if it's like something you're supposed to laugh at give it 50 years you know like yeah like give it 100 years but if it's something where you're gonna like pull on people's heartstrings and be like look at these brave firefighters running up the towers like they were great and America's great too like that you know 20 years like 19, 18, where we're at right now? I don't know. That really <laughs> bothers me because, like, um, that is what prompted this whole podcast because it's, like, propaganda. It's straight-up propaganda. Yeah. And, oh, like, yeah. I, and I don't begrudge anyone, you know, memorializing firefighters and how, you know, and people, first responders who did lose their lives and who were very brave. But it also, like there was more going on than that movie portrays. Kind of talking, going back to the rules, you know, that we were we were talking about, like our, in terms of like tone, these are all American heroes and nobody can find any fault with firefighters or police officers or anything, anything, anything. Yeah, you gotta have to hit the lowest common denominator if you're right. talking about a national scale tragedy. Yeah. Well, I do want to bring up that V for Vendetta is about how it was a conspiracy, the whole thing. Right. Spoiler alert. This is what I figured out. So, like, let's say you want to make a comedy about 9-11, right? I just had this idea. Okay. What you do is you uh, get a group of, of funny dudes to play 9-11 uh, truther conspiracies, conspiracists. Okay. And and they 
they're the comedy is about them uncovering the actual conspiracy that 9-11 was. Okay. And they're like, you know, but bumbling while they do it. They're like, oh, we figured it out, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, they, they figure out all the, uh, the you know, steel beams don't, jet fuel doesn't burn steel beams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera all that yeah. stuff. And they, like, go through it all throughout the whole movie. It's like a, kind of like a heist caper movie where they, like, go and find documents and they stumble over each other while doing it. And, and then finally, like, arrive at the Pentagon and they're like, all right, guys, who have you been talking to that you know all this stuff? Exactly. Sort of and then, like, they get shut down at the very end and they're like, well, we knew. <laughs> I can see that definitely playing well in, like... Like Judd Apatow. <laughs> in, like, 10, 20 years. Like, think? I think I think it's Another too soon. 10 or 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I think it's too soon. I Like, I like that idea. I think it would be funny, but I think... Having lived through 9-11, like, I would just be like, this is a little bit too much, you know? Like, I, uh-huh. I get that this is funny, but also, like, so many people died, and I just, like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, changed the course of our country, maybe not for the better, and, like, right. ugh. So, I think maybe then one of the rules is that if you're going to make a comedy, it has to be... Um, allegorical um not like, even necessarily a comedy but like any kind satire, of satire yeah like satire like, yeah you were saying about where you're not going to cater to the lowest common denominator yeah if it's satire it has to be a allegorical like v for vendetta or like your movie but then that would be uh oh right like a fictional chicago, yeah, yeah chicago something 10 13 or whatever yeah. <laughs> 10 13 chicago 10 13 coming in 2020 yeah, um, <laughs> 20 apparently tm tm <laughs> but and not yeah you'd have to let audiences figure out like they watch it be like oh shit this is about 9 11 right you know right. like i think it, it'd have I, to be very tongue-in-cheek yeah i think even if you're like you call it literally chicago 10 13 <laughs> like i think it'll be obvious that you're doing a satire about 9-11 and it still will not be offensive because people are like, okay, that's what this is. Like, right. I this think, is a different thing. Yeah, it's a different thing. It's a different category and therefore it's fine. You like protect yourself with like the, like a wrapper of like fakeness. <laughs> yeah. And I think the only way to make a, let's talk about, you know, commercially successful a commercially successful portrayal of one of these national tragedies is to play to the common the lowest common denominator like you said like you know uh firefighters struggling to survive in the twin towers or you know what happened on flight united 994 or whatever and that works and like that can that shortens the time scale from like when that the tragedy happens to when you can release yeah i think clearly but, yeah. like, they're also, like, we all think of it as, like, crass exploitation of, like, the event because, like, we were all there. Like, if you do it too soon, you know, like, we're just, like, whatever. Who cares? Like, we remember it. We don't need to be told how this went down. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it's also interesting, too, Emily, because you, you pointed out, like, so many people died. And I'm not contradicting that statement <laughs> at all. I, I, I realized the way I kind of said it started Jeff talking. does burn steel beams. Um, but no, I think about like how interesting it is that we're talking of, but these questions that we're bringing up, these rules that we're talking about that people may, maybe should or, or would follow does not apply to wars. Like there's tons of war movies out there and like, and very specific ones too. Like, you know, there are entire films that are just about like single battles or even like, I think, you know, I think one the way that that is done though 
Yeah, the the way that that is done though, like we have like World War Two movies about specific battles, specific people, specific times, and then we have like Afghanistan Iraq War things that are just about soldiers in a war in the Middle East, and it's not about specific people and it's not about a specific incident, and I think that's part of this where you're fictionalizing it by putting it in a different time or in place or not place but like a different you're decontextualizing it so it's not specifically about this tragedy that happened right so like when yeah so if you have a movie that is about you know the battle of the bulge it's like there's a lot of historical like knowledge about that specific battle and who was there and who was fighting but you can insert rando soldier you know, who, right. you know, was in the right battalion, wearing the right gear, doing the right things or whatever. But, you know, it's all about him and his girl back home. But it's also, like, far enough in the in the past that, like, yeah. it doesn't really matter what you do about it. Like, we could make a comedy about the Battle of the Bulge right now and, like, no one would care, right? Like, I think there's a, a time scale issue. So, like, yeah. if you want to make a movie about, like, a lighthearted movie about a tragedy, you have to wait, like, let's say a generation. So, like, the Battle of the Bulge was a generation ago. So you can make whatever you want now. Yeah. But okay. if you want to make a lighthearted movie before a generation's up, you have to decontextualize it such that like you people can easily connect the two dots, but that you don't have to connect the dots if you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing with like there are some Afghanistan Iraq war like I can see an Afghanistan Iraq war comedy happening if it's just not contextualized like it's not a specific place it's not a specific time they're modern day they're soldiers so you just assume it's in iraq or you know wherever we've been fucking up recently um lauren just brought up a good point secretly silently to me (laughs) talk about it oh yeah (laughs) as we're talking about it whiskey tango foxtrot did you guys yeah i have not i feel like i feel like that's really that that is kind of what i was like where i was going where it was like yeah like Exactly what we're saying. It's like time, that kind of time heals all wounds and allows you to exploit it for big, big. What is what is whiskey gain, but, tango foxtrot about? So it, it is about a, a journalist who goes to the Middle East to report, and you know, and and then she gets into all kinds of things because it, it starts off with her, um, like going in and being the newbie, and then you know through through time or and like experiences that she has there she becomes like a really kind of ingrained like veteran war reporter if, yeah um and it's um oh my gosh tina fey. thank you i was yeah. gonna be like it's liz lemon oh my god <laughs> i'm so sorry tina fey i will light a candle and spin around circles three times for for i think that movie though is like really interesting like according to the rules that we set forth about like timescales and and like the the wrapper of like contextualization mm-hmm. because like that was like a very specific time and place from like a very like a person's memoirs like i'm pretty sure it was based on like a a real person's memoirs yeah i think you're right and like it doesn't it's funny Mm -hmm. which like kind of bucks that whole like time scale trend we were talking about yeah but it's also like it's not like a funny it's not a comedy necessarily right it's like a serious movie and the the trailers make it seem like a fun romp in iraq but it's not it's like yeah it's people funny get because fucking it's blown up, you know. Right, yeah. It's it's funny because like sometimes people like in the real world like trip on something and fall down and you're like, "Oh shit, are you okay?" Yeah. So it's that kind of it has level funny of funny moments. Right, yeah. that level of like it's funny because of 
because we as humans will laugh at things that maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So it, I think it specifically does it say specifically what time, what place? It, it does. Is? I forget what it is. It's like Iraq. I think is like where they're at. But I, do they? Like, I mean, I'm saying like, do they make a big point of like? This is 1994. Yes. You know, oh, okay. Like they, they call it all out. And the, okay. I think that's like part of it, though, is like because it's like a heartfelt movie, and it's it's also sufficiently recontextualized, like away from the war because she's a war reporter and not like a, like a, a soldier. Warrior. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have. And like, she's also not in America. So it's not like she's in like New York getting reports back and writing them up. Right, right. She's like actually there. So I think like it's got an interesting mix of like. The time is just long enough, and the context is just tilted enough that like it works as a movie about like a real place and a real time and a specific event, and yeah. like it's and it's just it's just serious enough that like it allows for it. Yeah. So like, like the way we were talking about earlier is like you have to be like a generation removed or like completely encapsulated in context, but like I guess you could also have like half and half too, you know? Yeah, yeah I would say that um, that might be the exception that proves the rule. I think the reason Maybe. it was so popular and everyone was talking about it is because it broke all these rules. Like, I think that the general, in general, these rules stand, but like this is the exception that proves the rule. You can't ever do that again. Well, also, Tina Fey is just like the super superstar ever. So, like, I think if anybody other actress tried that role, nobody would have cared. And that, it wouldn't it have been have, believable in a lot of ways. It might have crass, frankly. Yeah. Like, I actually, uh, I just watched this movie with Benicio Del Toro, and it was about the Yugoslavia genocide. And mm-hmm. it sounds awful, but it was actually, like, a really charming movie. He played a U.N. aid worker who um, basically was so tired of being there and, like, hated... I mean, he was, didn't hate his job. He loved his job, but, like, he just, He's, like, like, burnt out. He had seen some shit. And yeah. so he's paired with this, uh, like, bright young thing, you know, that she's going <laughs> to, you know, change everything. And basically the whole movie, they're just trying to get a body out of a well so that the people can drink. <laughs> the water and like the entire movie so first they are like okay we have a rope let's just pull it out and then the un shows up and they're like you can't do that you can't uh interfere in this and they're like but there's like a body in the well and they can't <laughs> drink the water <laughs> and so and so they go and like go and get uh you know all of this paperwork taken care of and like um, they're arguing with people and they can't seem to get um, it. They didn't get it worked out with the UN. Finally, they're like, we're just going to go fucking get that body out of the fucking well. And they get back right. and they, they have no rope. And so they go on this journey for rope and it involve. And then this kid, they find this kid on the side of the road and they're like, where the fuck are you? And like, <laughs> where are your parents? Where are your grandparents? And he's just like, I don't know. And so oh, they, and it like, it's so awful because at some point, the, the little kid is like, I'm looking for my soccer ball. I just want to go to my house and get my soccer ball. I'm living with my grandpa, but my soccer ball is at my house. And they go to the house, and a lot of these houses had been, like, booby-trapped with bombs or, like, burnt down because he, he, him and his parents were Muslim. Or his mm-hmm. mother was Muslim and his father was not. Um, so they're like, you can't go in the house. We're going to go in the house. And, like, they go in the house and... The it's clean mostly, except there are uh, suitcases by the back door. And the kids said that his parents had fled, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And so they no. go in the garage, and the parents were there being hung, and it was like, "Oh fuck!" But then they're like, "Well, there's a rope." 
Oh, oh my god! <laughs> so they get the rope, and it's funny. But it's like awful, but it's also like, well, now we have a rope. It's a dark comedy. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of like I was gonna say, it's that classic kind of like comedy structure where it's like, here's a problem, and this is what we need to do to fix it. And before we do that, we have to do this. But before we do that, we have to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's like not funny in general, but it is like it is funny. It has funny. It's got moments. funny moments. Yeah, and at the end. They they have the rope. They get back. All this stuff happens. Um, they pull the guy out of the well, almost to the top, and then the UN comes back and is like, "We told you not to do this." <laughs> and so they and the UN literally cuts the rope and has the body drop back in the well. And Jeez. then after the credits, there's a it's like the credits is just like scenes of like rain in Yugoslavia, and like there's just like a bunch of village people run up to the well, and the body has floated all the way up because of the rain, oh, wow. and they just like pull him out. <laughs> Jeez, it's just such a good movie. It was, and it was definitely what was it called Emily. Yeah, it sounds. I don't good. know. God damn it, Emily. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'm going to save you by Googling Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. really good. Benicio Del Toro. So probably not Sicario. <laughs> not Sicario. I would recognize it if you've said it. But yeah, I, I think that is also, you know, fictionalizing. Is it the called A Perfect past. Day? A Perfect Day. Because they have a perfect day. <laughs> um, and I think we, me and dad watched it. I think it was on Netflix or maybe Hulu or one of these streaming services. Oh, Tim Robbins is in it. And yeah. Melanie Theory. So I, maybe not anyways. Julie Dempy. Anyways, but yeah, still, sorry. But yeah, I'm going to so write that down. That sounds great. It was really okay. funny and very good. Lots of other stuff happens. Um, and I was say, Emily, if you want a clean take of saying a perfect day, so you can like cut it back to the beginning. <laughs> it's called a perfect day because I definitely knew what it was called when we started talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, and it's also fictionalizing the recent path because the you know the genocide in Yugoslavia is very recent. Do we know um, how recent? Because like I'm. I'm the, on that. It's honestly not over, but um, oh. the 1990, I, we were living in um, Germany when they, the fighter planes would fly over our house to go bomb Kosovo. That mm -hmm. was 1999. Okay. So. So then that was like just before that then, right? Sorry, what was just before that? The, the genocide started just before that? It had been going in a while. Right. It right. honestly, like early 90s, I think, it started and it gained... <clears throat> Um, and that movie comes out in 2015. So, like, yeah. that's, like, what, 15, 25? I mean, honestly, they were still having problems at uh, last I heard, 2004. So, like, 10 years, let's say. Yeah. I mean, since it started, though, it's been, like, almost 30. That's true. So it's, like, close to a, a generation, you know. I mean, it, but the actual, like, the worst of it didn't happen until the early aughts, the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, there's once again, also another book called the the cellist of Sarajevo, which is a fictionalized version of this guy who every day went out to play his cello in the streets of Sarajevo when the siege was on, and people mm -hmm. were routinely getting shot by snipers and bombed. Um, there's even like a, a term for it. there's Serbian roses on the um, asphalt because that's where the mortar shells would blow up, and there were like red spots, and they looked like oh, roses. Wow. Um, and the actual, this is a true story of a person 
who actually went out and played every day to show that he wasn't afraid. And this is a fictionalized book about that happening. And the actual guy is really pissed that this book exists. Really? Yeah. I don't know why he, I didn't. Yeah, actually... I was about to say, because like, he didn't get money or whatever. He obviously No, I, I think he, he thinks it's trivializing what the siege that happened and how many people mm. died. And But I think, honestly, it's a really intense book. And if you want to understand what it was like living in Sarajevo under the siege, you should read it. Um, I'll pass. But so I, I I appreciate. But that. also maybe that maybe that was his objection, where it's like if he was not um, like interviewed or you know what I mean, like maybe yeah. it's like oh you wrote this book about me without consulting me yeah. at all, so you're yeah. like trying to put my emotions out there without asking me what my emotions were or motivations. Yeah. Maybe emotion isn't the right word, but motivation. It's highly possible that they just heard about this dude and then wrote this book. Because, right. um, yeah. Which makes sense, right? Because if someone was just like, there's this guy, and, you know, and then you yeah. say everything you just said, like, that sounds like a really beautiful story. But the the crux there, uh, that man is still alive. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's a And real therefore person. should be considered. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's a good another good rule. Like, if you're writing about a person who's still alive, it's important to, like, have their input and, like, message that some way in your advertising or in your story be like we talked to the guy he agrees with all the stuff we said yeah yeah <laughs> okay yeah. so like actually that's not a, that's not necessarily important because like this book has done well enough i guess without it but like i yeah. think from like an ethical perspective like that's an important one right like we can i think we could probably say that the the writers of the book and the mo- makers of the movie are maybe acting slightly unethically by not considering this person if that's even the case and like that doesn't necessarily mean they're not successful in doing so but like for a for like what's right and wrong like the rules we're making up i think if the subject of your your recent tragedy is still available for discussion and interviews mm. it's important to like reach out at least yeah. cuz i think this is this is going to be like slightly off topic but the point i'm making is that um the the band of brothers series yeah. the mini series like i'm pretty sure that at the beginning of each um episode they begin it with like actual like interviews with the actual guys that are being portrayed and mm-hmm. or, or like if not their interviews then there's like text that gives you context right that's a good rule there's a good way to do that you know in a narrative speaking like they were yeah. obviously that's like historical right? yeah and i think partially that the the cellist of sarajevo suffers from that thing that they were talking about um in Anna Holmes was talking about and that it's viewed as a as a um, mercenary endeavor like this mm-hmm. person is looking for money when like I mean art is great in and of itself but also <laughs> art does not exist without you know capital right. you know consumer Get paid yeah like you can't I am very into not blaming people for getting paid for their art because so few people get paid for their art right so like I get your money you know yeah exactly and like the once again, like, if it's good art, hopefully it will make money. And if it's bad art, like, it will be allowed to be forgotten, you know? like Yeah, and I learned a lot. You got to create it, which is also saying something. Yeah. yeah. I learned a lot about um, the Siege of Sarajevo. Like, I, intellectually, I knew what had happened. But, like, I didn't understand it was, like, a constant, like, fear of getting sniped in the street. And, like, you were crossing the street and the person next to you gets sniped and you everyone runs. And you're like, should I pick up this body or should I leave it? Like, this is my friend. But also I don't want to get hit in the head. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like just these like everyday traumas that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and the, you know, the Serbian roses that are on the sidewalk, which is just so poetic and awful. Do you guys watch the West Wing or have you watched the West Wing? No. I am rewatching it. Oh. Um, and I really like it. It's a, I mean, it's just a really well done show. People say. But I was curious if, and, and if not, we can cut this out. But I was curious if something like that would be considered like, do they... in, in the sense that bring they definitely bring up real issues. Like oh. there's many, many references to like the Arab world and just being like, oh God, yeah, how could, you know, we're not going to be able to fix this. So they're talking about things that are actually kind of going on, but they make up incidences right mm-hmm. but then they also talk a lot about you know their their entire episodes that kind of are about like oh the medicare bill or whatever whatever so but obviously it's all made up right like this is a fictitious president and it has you know, that wrapper of context yeah yeah that, i think that is the answer right there like it's yeah. like missable because of the wrapper of context yeah it's yeah. if it were it's, someone specifically portraying like george bush for instance i think it would be a different story. Did they make a movie about George Bush too, and kind of made him? They like mm, they might have. It was very, if I remember correctly, it was very like critical, where it was basically like he was kind of pushed into the decisions he made by his like cabinet members and then his advisors. So it was kind of like he's only so much to blame, guys. You know that I, sort of vibe. I believe it because uh, that's the, the understanding that I have. Example like that was like what ten years ago. Yeah, almost exactly 10 years ago. Yeah. But I wonder, because it's not a tragedy, not, right? Yeah. It well, it is a tragedy, that. but not dramatic. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's a... Define it's a, tragedy. It's a true, like, it's a, like one of those, like, serious movies. The, the, the subject matter is treated seriously, so, like, yes. the timescale can be shortened. Um, it's still, 10 years seems, like, pretty pretty quick. Yeah, it seems like they're, it's like you're allowed to discuss kind of, I guess... Ooh, like maybe it's events versus like uh, the politics of the day, sort of like specific people, right? Yeah, yeah. So like nine eleven is a like unprecedented tragedy in terms of like the the scale of it, that the life loss, like mm-hmm. it is intense and it affected people across the country for various reasons. So it's it, it wasn't like localized by any means. Mm-hmm. It was like felt by the entire country and the world, right? I don't think anybody would argue that. Versus, like, political people in power. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I was thinking about, um, there's a movie called Dick, which I yeah. had seen, like, years ago. <laughs> and that's a comedy, and it's, it's so all good. about Watergate. And <laughs> the, Once again, though, it's, like, years and years removed. Right, move, but it's also, know. like, Watergate was, like, this huge scandal, and it was, like, this really upset thing, and it was embarrassing and it was you know terrible and and like oh my god like our trust in like our president and everything is like totally shaking i mean it was a it was a really big deal but it's also right uh, to my knowledge you know like nobody died you know (laughs) like that sort of thing so it's like yeah you i think it maybe maybe it really does like time is a huge effort but also like everything is kind of on a case-by-case basis because you can... uh, There are movies that are about, you know, like, factory explosions. And you can make a movie about that at any point you really want to, right? Um, I do want to um, talk about something that I saw in an article on KITLV, which is a blog. It's called Historicizing Fiction, Fictionalizing History. And um, 
this guy is uh, Indonesian, and he talks about how it, how they they are very focused, especially in their education, on finding a standardized version of history, mm-hmm. and all of these books, the state version of these narratives are really pushed very hard, but then literarily you have these books that really contradict the state narrative. And um, I just wanted to talk about, like, is it good for us to have a standardized version of history? Or, like, is that what we're working towards when we do these 9-11 movies? Like, just so everyone knows this is what Mm -hmm. happened. Even, And that's kind of what it feels like to me. Because it doesn't feel like being a documentarian when you make this fictional movie about United sure. 94 or whatever. Um, it feels like uh, them terrorists came and they, but America <laughs> is strong and, you know, will we'll, uh, prevail Presenting over. this united front in terms of like, we all feel this way, so don't right. even try to go there. Exactly, and we don't all feel that way, you know. So... Yeah, I think that's very interesting question in terms of like, because as soon as you bring in narrative, right, any kind of fictional anything, yeah, um, becomes subjective. Then you know, yeah. so events events can still kind of take place when and where they happened, but people's thoughts about them will be influenced. Because of said love story, you know, like, well, I really wanted, you know, Ben and Kate to get together. So I'm actually uh, Pearl Harbor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm I'm so I'm really upset now that the Japanese would have the gall to do that. (laughs) You know, like, how dare they ruin that marriage? Right. And I know I mean, I know that sounds maybe like we're joking about it, but like I've definitely seen films. I didn't realize that's what was going on. And now my thoughts about, you know, this thing has changed. So, right. And, like, I guess, like, what you could do is, like, if you had a, uh, an account in a government textbook that was, like, perfectly fair, perfectly reasonable, perfectly good for everybody who ever considered the event, people who were there all, like, got together in a room, all of them, and said, okay, this is good. I like this. Then you wouldn't need to push back or, like, do extra research about an event or whatever. And that narrative could be the one. Yeah. But, like, insofar as, like, that is an impossible thing, what I've just described, you need some place to start from so that scholars can then be like, oh, but this book says differently, and here, in this TED Talk, I'll explain why, you know? Um, and and that is an important feature of, like, historical accounts, is, like, re- uncovering new information and being like, oh, so maybe this didn't happen the way we thought. If we had every piece of information up front, and that was included in the initial government account in the textbook you learned when you were a kid... Cool, done here, right? Like history, yeah. history accomplished. But that's like an impossible thing to do. So yeah. we need that initial, you know, agreed upon description of what happened, so that we can be then like, ah, yes, that's what you think. But I have these re- resources that say otherwise. You know, what you're talking about reminded me of Valkyrie, the film with Tom Cruise, which was oh, yeah. about um, the uh, the German officers who were trying like and. The, the conspiracy to try and kill Hitler. Mm-hmm. And the reason what you were saying made me think of that is because the the way the way the film is kind of set up is that they're like, you know, like, ah, oh, this isn't, you know, we, we don't like what's happening. We don't like this, you know, Germany is going to get obliterated and then all the things that we care about um, in terms of our history and our culture are going to get like, you know, 
destroyed. So we have to get rid of Hitler. But, like, historically speaking, like, all of these people who are trying to do it were, like, totally on board uh, with kind of the goals of the war. But they didn't think that, like, Hitler himself should be in charge. It should have been, like, the German aristocracy. So it's like they're, but they were painting this picture in the film of, like, we're doing this for Germany as she once was. And it's like, which was still not great. <laughs> I mean, um, I think that's that's an important point because, like, we are, to a certain extent, in America, we engage in this so often when we think about the founding fathers and how great mm, they were. Yes. They were all slave owners. They were all slave owners, if you're not counting Hamilton and um, John Adams. And it's just like, so we can't think of them we have to think of them critically and all of this media that comes out about them that like fictionalizes them and lionizes them is like, is that healthy? Is it good to have this narrative, you know, that uh, is, is making these people into, you know, heroes when like, okay, but like George Washington definitely had like slave teeth implanted in his skull. Like, Mm -hmm. and like, where did he get those teeth? Health, perfectly healthy teeth from grown people. (laughs) Like, right. But no, exactly, where it's kind of like, you know, you might watch you you might watch a film and think like, oh, see, like, hashtag not all Germans, you know, but it's like, <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. They were totally like you know, <laughs> to they, be clear, they participated. They were still anti Semites. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> they wanted to be an anti Semite in a different way. <laughs> exactly. They felt like, hmm, this guy who like is like, you know, this nobody you know, this upstart little political dude, and now he's running the country. How do we let that happen? We need yeah. to get rid of him and do things our I way. I have much better ways to kill Jews. Exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and like you said, Emily, that's like a great example. Yeah, like the Founding Fathers. It's like, let's not forget that, like, wasn't it Andrew Jackson that, like, signed the thing that, like, took all the land away from the Native Americans and forced them oh. onto the Trail of Tears? Yeah, and in fact, he, it was... Uh, unratified or put down but it still happened i think i think hamilton is a good uh, example because he in hamilton they specifically talk about this scandal that he had and like in his day even though he was like the loudest mouth that ever um lauded he still was like a war hero and a very respectable man and, like, bringing this up in a musical format would have been really awful. It probably wouldn't have been received well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, too. The The medium itself would have been considered, you know, disrespectful, like you yeah. said. But um, I do, to, to round it off, I want to talk about murder podcasts. Oh, um, finally. Yeah, finally, back to the murder. Po- I've been listening to My Favorite Murder, and, like, the two people who do it are really very charming and, like, their back and forth is fun, but they are talking about, like, these awful murders. And part of me, I only recently started because even the idea of this podcast was uh, was upsetting to me. Because I'm like, are you're, you're benefiting off of these people's awful murder. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me to be performative and very mercenary. However, after listening to it, I kind of understand where they're coming from in that being female in the world is like being constantly worried about being murdered for some people and like i get it now because a lot of the stories uh, the lot of the first stories that i listened to were like women who went to do laundry in the law like in a building like mine that has a laundry that's separate from your house 
and didn't lock the door and came back and were raped and murdered because someone had come in. And, like, I had just literally, when I listened to the first podcast like that, I had just done that exact thing and gone to the laundry without locking my door. So now I lock my door when the laundry. Good. But, like, you know, these things that, like, someone, my friend Allison described it as, like, preparing yourself to not be caught like these other women who have been murdered in these ways. And, like, some some of it's, like, obvious things like don't hitchhike, you know, yeah. and other yeah. things are, are less obvious. Like, if someone asks you for the time and you don't know it, don't check your watch, just keep walking. <laughs> like, you know, these things that that people do that you're not prepared for because you don't think about it, you know? So, I don't know. And but then yeah, that, <laughs> for my favorite what? Sorry. I said like let's how does this raise the topic? Uh well, no, for uh my favorite murder I think is an exception cuz we're talking about the serial podcast and now there's at least two other podcasts that I hear constant ads for that are about like delving into these murders. And I think because serial caused um a big stir and like a break in the case, I think that these podcasts are kind of operating with this veil of we're doing it for the good of the victim. Mm -hmm. But like, do they get consent from the victim and the family? Like, are the family okay with all of their, this being brought up again? Like, well, I think I it's also know. like, it's a different thing because it's uh, not fictionalized. Like, yeah, the, like supposedly it's, it's as it's, it's a news thing. So like it serves as like a, a documentary kind of thing. And like, yeah, we talked about this earlier in the, in this episode that like, as soon as it happens, like a news documentary thing should be available. Like you should be able to figure out like the facts, quote unquote. <clears throat> but when you start to fictionalize it, that's when like the choices you make when talking about real people and their real tragedy can seem crass and whatever. And so like the level of fiction that's involved is I think like the distinction here where those rules we're discussing come into play. Okay, that's fair. I think I was connecting it because it of the fact that you're making money off of other people's appropriated stories and not necessarily in a journalistic way, but it is all facts. Like I believe that they're not making any of this up. Right. And they um, might be sensationalizing it a little bit. Yeah. And like that's kind of I guess where this came from like when we talked about at the beginning of the episode like they like there are less scrupulous you know outlets that will sensationalize to the point of like fiction and that's like crass and like a money grab for 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 sure you know yeah like you know the daily news like the rat you know like these rags like the daily world news or whatever that like basically just make shit up and they'll make shit up about any old body or thing as long as it gets eyeballs on the page yeah but like no one takes those seriously I just had, so I, I made a face where I was like, oh my God. So I, I started thinking about, based on all the things that you guys are talking about. So the question I'm going to ask rhetorically is, uh -huh. so when, when is your tragedy become public domain? Oh, dang. Mm. So, yeah. so 9-11, thousands, millions of people affected by it, right? So to make something about it, regardless of, you know, if, if it's fictionalized or if it's documentary, you are opening up 
yourself to all of those people to be judged and for them to say, hey, no, that that affected me personally and here's why, you know, and so you're going to get a huge peanut gallery, right? Versus what you were talking about, Emily, were these families of people who were the victims of murder or like intent, like maybe they weren't. I've listened to a couple of episodes of My Favorite Murder and, you know, like the serial rapists and, you know, who, yes, maybe they killed some people. But anyways, like that is something that affected those people individually. And so unless that serial killer like killed you or someone in your family, right, that's like something that is people are affected by, but not in the same way. Like it's the person who is murdered and the people around them are the people affected, And so because it's on like a much more like smaller scale, like, is that why people feel like, oh, we should come in here and tell this story. We need to put this out there. And you are kind of able to do it because only that person's family are the ones that you're opening yourselves up to. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm articulating it correctly. No, it's a, it's a, it's a matter of scale. I think, um, the, you are pissing off potentially all of New York and surrounding suburbs if you're talking about 9-11. Whereas if you talk about this murder, you're pissing off this family or who, the people involved. And that's a much smaller, that's a much smaller thing. And also one of them probably is the murderer. Yeah. Um, well, and also like, <clears throat> there's only so much information that's public domain about like murders of that sort. Like, you know, you get police documents, you get news reports and like, that's it you know like if you want to get like the inside scoop or like the real story you have to talk to family members you have to talk to people who are involved and like implicitly they're giving you consent to talk about those things when you get those interviews so like you know like to make an interesting story you have to like get first-hand accounts and by getting the first-hand accounts it's consensual like you're not going to piss them off because they're telling you (laughs) you know well yeah so fictionalizing the recent past i think we have I think you're right. Uh, the The amount of time that it has to pass before you can do something about it is directly proportional to the amount of people that it affected. Yes, That's I think you're point. right, and I think yay! Gen- Thank yay! you for articulating that, Emily. You are the best. That's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to get to. Like, uh, I got it. In terms of yeah, it's context, number He's, of people, and time. Time yeah. scale. Yeah, and like it's just a an equation, an alchemy of those things. Um, yeah, so. I am going to end this with a pitch for a MASH reboot that takes place in the Iraq war. God damn it. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Doctors Without Borders, they don't want to be there, but they are there. It's going to be great, guys. Uh, Less sexism, but maybe not. Less sexism, but um, (laughs) up the hilarity. That should be the tagline. Less sexism, (laughs) but maybe not. But maybe not. No promises, actually. No, because the world is broken. <clears throat> one last thought, you know, like the one genre where um, all these things just go right out the fucking window. All these things we talked about, all this like discussion we just had. Yeah. Pornography. Oh yeah. Oh, Tomorrow, yeah, Chuck Tingle has already released a porn book about the <laughs> the government shutdown fucking him in the ass. Oh, oh wow. my god! I'm just saying he's a two time Hugo nominated author. Yeah. Like it just all goes yeah. out the window. Like it's already so illegitimate that no one gives a shit, and they're like. All right, let's do it. So here's like we might as well. transhumanism thing. I think here's the takeaway. If you want to be able to do and say whatever you want to do and say about any topic, no matter how horrible, 
Pornography. Pornography. Yeah. Like, like that's the porn that's artist. your that's your yeah. niche. Yeah. I agree. You want true artistic freedom? <laughs> Go into porn. <laughs> well, thank you for wow, listening, we'll storytellers. Thank you for listening. Don't be a trippy dope. If you want true artistic freedom, go into pornography. (laughs) And keep telling your stories. episode of life narrated is brought to you by paul bunyan he wasn't a real person so don't at me brought to you by the new york times being critical of people's memories since 1912 1914 brought to you of by days. porn yeah right breaking boundaries brought to you by maybe Pornhub one day that'd be great <laughs> brought to you by maybe one day <laughs> suggestions at life this podcast is brought to you by that box in my dad's closet <laughs> It might help us make a better podcast one day. We don't know. What does it do? <laughs> oh, this episode is brought to you by my dad, who yeah. really wants us to record well and has a box with something to help us do help that. Us. He has serious concerns about our audio quality, which is valid. <laughs> I hope my daddy does not listen to this. This podcast brought to you by our mom, who, uh, in, in addition to birthing me and Emily, also listened to one episode and did not like all the F-bombs we dropped. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> this this episode brought to you by the F word. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> have she I told you guys? Have I told you about how I was telling my mom how I didn't want to change my last name because of like feminist reasons? And she's like, Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's <coughs> oh, nice. I, I really support you. I just really wish you would stop saying the F word. <laughs> And I was what like, is wow, it? totally unrelated. And I didn't even use it in the conversation. <laughs> to be clear, my mom had a problem with me saying the F word. She had a problem with all of us, but, but you specifically. specifically me. And I was like, mom, way to be sexist. Bless. This podcast brought to you by our moms who birthed us. So literally the reason we're here. Shout out to moms. Shout, Shout out, out to moms. To moms.